All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Rise Church. So glad that you made it out today. Hey, give yourselves a hand clap to get through some of that crazy weather. That was, uh, I've noticed in Texas, like that's our form of snow right there. Like that's our snowstorm. And so y'all made it, even though we made it through our snow, people were laughing at us from Missouri or, you know, Wisconsin. It's like, no, that's our snow. So anyway, I'm so glad you made it out. We start a brand new series today called Him and her, him and her. And we're talking about marriage and relationships. You know, this is a February. It's kind of the love month. And we talking, we're talking a lot about you're going to see it everywhere right now. You're probably thinking about next week and Valentine's Day. And if, you have, if you're married in here, you're thinking about where you want to go or where you should go or your wife's hoping that you're thinking about that. And then uh, if you're not married in here, maybe you're single and you're just hoping to get a date. You're like, man, I'd like to have a date for Valentine's Day. That'd be nice to just get a pastor. I don't know about marriage. I just want a date. I'd just be nice if I can get a, get a man. That'd be great, you know. I get a woman. Some girl would actually just say hi to me. And so uh, I thought, you know, we just as a church wanted to talk a lot about really our, our goal wanted to talk about is what, what does God have to say about marriage and relationships? What does God have to say about living, you know, in this uh, life and not being truly alone, you know, and, and, and God has a lot to say about that. So uh, I want to give a couple of ground rules to this series before I start. Number one is this. I, I'm going to speak to you today, not as an expert. Okay. I don't speak to you about marriage going like, Hey, listen, I have it all figured out. You should see me and my wife. It's amazing. Model your marriage after my marriage. Please don't do that. Cause you probably save yourself a little bit, well, probably a lot of heartache. And so you don't want to do that. You never want to follow someone who says, Hey, I'm the self-profane or professed uh, expert. So I'm not an expert, but I'm going to preach to you from the Word of God and from really the, the main expert when it comes to marriage. We're going to talk about God's idea of marriage and really what He designed, because uh, He designed it. Here, he's the expert. You want to know why He's the expert? Because He invented it, and it's His thing. And so we're going to talk about what He has to say about really being in marriage and relationships. And then uh, the second one is I'm going to also, the second rule and the kind of ground rules of this series, I'm going to speak to you sensitively. I, th- I know that a lot of times for, for many of you out here, we all have come from different backgrounds. Uh, you could be married right now in, in a really tough marriage. Uh, you could be single right now. Maybe you were in a marriage and you're single now and you, you had a moment of separation. Maybe you're in separation. Maybe you're in, you, you just went through a divorce. Maybe you have gone through something and through something serious in this life. And here's what I've noticed about life, man. Life can throw you some crazy curveballs. Isn't that true? Y'all, y'all with me in here? Yeah, that's true. It could be really crazy. And so I know that a lot of this sometimes can be sensitive. So I'm going to speak to you sensitively, but I'm going to, th- I'm going to speak to you passionately, if that's okay. All right. I want to kind of give us all, all, I say us, like all, I was doing this message today or this week. And as I'm like going through what I want, you know, felt God wanted to share. I'm like, man, I, I need to do that. Wow. This is not what I'm, wow. Wow. So I'm like walking to my wife every day. You can ask her. I'm like, babe, I just repent because I'm not what I should be and I need to be. And so we're all learning together. Okay. Can we just say that we're all learning together? I like learning from people who say that rather than I have it all figured out. So anyway, we're going to be in Genesis chapter two. Genesis chapter 2, uh, if you have your Bibles, if not, we put them on our, our Version Bible app, and it's, uh, it's not our app, it's a Bible app, and you can search in events under the Bible app, it's the Version Bible app, and you can get all my notes, so you can keep them for later, uh, or you can kind of skip ahead and see where we're going, but Genesis chapter 2, just a little bit of context, it's the beginning uh, book of the Bible, so Genesis, the Bible starts off with Genesis, so if you're not a church person in here, starts off with Genesis in the Old Testament, and it's really uh, in Genesis chapter 2, at this point, God had created all heavens and the, all the earth, and he's, he's uh, created everything great, and um, he's right before he had created mankind, and so we kind of jump into Genesis chapter 2, he's on the seventh day, he rests, and he gets to this part in chapter 2, verse 4. It says this, When the Lord God made the heavens and earth, neither wild plants nor grains were growing on them. For the Lord God had not yet sent rain to the water of the earth, and there were no people. Everybody say, no people. Yeah, there was no people there. I, 
you know, some of you, that's like heaven on earth. You're like, I'm so happy. That sounds amazing if my life was with no people. Somebody said to me, they asked me, how's it pastor in a church? I said, it'd be, I would be the best pastor if there were no people. I'm just telling you, it's hard. It's, it's, it's hard to do. That's about you guys. Anyways, I'm just kidding. So um, to cultivate the soil, instead, springs came up from the ground and to water all the land. This is important. He said, verse 7, it says, then the Lord God formed the man. So God created man. God created man. God created Man, that's a good thing for us to know. From the dust of the ground, that's why you guys out there, y'all know that's why we like to be dirty and get, you know, our hands dirty. So anyway, he said, he breathed the breath of life into man's nostrils and the man became a living person. Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east and there he placed the man that he made. So, so just quick summary, God creates the man out of dirt and he breathes life into him, placed him in the garden of Eden. He said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to work and, and, and live in this incredible place. So jump to verse 16 and it says this, but the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat of the tree of the, in the garden, but except, except any, all the trees except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. And then jumps to verse 18. And I think this is kind of God going, okay, I gave you a command and I'm not sure you're going to listen. So let me help you with this. So he said, verse 18, he says, then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. Everybody say alone important. He said, I will make him a helper. That's important. That's kind of our word today. Helper who is just right for him. Guys, you need to know this, that if you're in a marriage right now with your wife, that woman is just right for you. Well, pastor, I don't know. I'm looking for the one. I'm going to get to that in just a moment. But the one you married is just right for you. Ladies, if you're looking at that man, I get it. Because when you married him, he changed. And all of a sudden it wasn't what you thought it was. You thought you thought he thought you thought it was going to be. But he's the just, the right one for you. You all don't even, you, you don't want that one. We'll keep going. Verse 20, and he says, he gave the names to all the livestock and all the birds of the sky and all the wild animals, but there still was no helper. But say helper. Yeah, there still wasn't anybody right. You know, God gave him, you know, all these animals and he gave him all these things to do. It still wasn't a helper for him. So this is what the Lord God did. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, the Lord God took the, one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. And the Lord God made a whoa, man. And so like, cause, you know, when you see a woman, it's like, whoa. So whoa, man, from the rib. And he brought her to the man. Interesting story about how God sees man as being alone. It's not good and brings a helper. That's our word today. Helper to him. Jump to Psalms chapter 118. Psalm chapter 118 is where we're going to be. And this is what it says. It says, the Lord is with me. The psalmist is speaking in faith. The Lord is with me. He is my helper. Everybody say helper. helper. There it is again, that word. That's interesting. So he is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. Today's, if you're taking notes, the title of my message today is, let's just be friends. Let's just be friends. Let's pray. Father, we love you today. God, I thank you that you ultimately have so much to say about relationships and marriage. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak clearly to each one of us. God, whether we be single, whether we're married, whether we're looking to get married, whether we've been married, whether we've been married for 50 years, you have something to say today about marriage, about relationships and what it's like to be in a relationship. So I just pray that you would speak to us, God. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen. I was uh, reading a story the other day, and uh, the story went like this. It said uh, there, was a, there was a couple named Fred and Edna, and uh, they used to go to the state fair every year. They would go to the state fair, and they'd walk around, and um, they would see this off in the distance that at the state fair, you could go ride in an airplane for $10. 
And so every year, Fred would go to Edna and say, Edna, man, I really want to ride in this airplane. And she looked at, at Fred every year, and she would say, uh, well, honey, $10 is, is, that's expensive, and $10 is $10. And he said, okay. And so the next year, he went back to the state fair and, and uh, saw that airplane there again. And it said free, you know, not free rides, but airplane rides for, for $10. And he looks at Edna, and he said, Edna, he said, babe, seriously, I'm telling you, this has been a dream of my heart. Can I please go ride in this airplane? And she goes, honey, that's expensive, because you know $10 is is $10. And they go on and they go every year to the state fair and every year they have the same argument and the same issue and the same problem. So they finally get, and they've been going for years and they get to the where they were 71 years old. Now that's, a, that's old, right? You're like, man, that's awesome. You made it, lived a good life. And he's feeling, he looks over at Ed and he goes, this is probably our last year at the state fair. Honey, I really, I, there's that plane again and it's still $10. Can I go ride in this airplane? And she looks at him and she says, well, honey, that's expensive. And he goes, but I know, I know, but it's my last, probably my last time to do this. Can we please just go on an airplane? And she goes, well, honey, $10 is $10. And uh, the pilot overhears them speaking. And he's seen them come several times and argue in front of his little booth every time. And he said, listen, listen, I've seen you guys here. I'll make a deal with you. If you go up, you can go on this airplane ride and we'll take you up. And if you make no sounds, like no sounds, you don't scream, you don't make a sound, you don't say a word, you make no sounds, and, I, and then I bring you back down and you didn't say anything, I won't charge you anything, it'll be free. And so Fred looks at Edna and then he goes, all right, that sounds like a good deal. So they get in the plane and the pilot takes him off and he's doing all these barrel rolls and does these spins and no, no, no sound, not one sound. And he's like, the pilot's kind of confused. He's like, man, you know, because he's sitting in front of him and they're behind him. And he's like, he's sitting around and he's barrel rolling again. He goes, I got to get, I don't want, I want my $10. So he's doing every trick he knows and nothing, no, no sound. He finally gets down, he lands the plane and he looks back and he goes, Fred, I thought, man, I thought you guys would make a sound. And that I did, sounds like you didn't. And he goes, how did you ever do that? And Fred says, well, honestly, you know, the, after the first barrel roll, Edna fell out and he goes... <laughs> He goes, but I didn't want to say anything because $10 is $10. (laughs) Some of you get that on the way home. (laughs) Marriage is hard, you know, and and being in relationships, man, 71 years old, you know, that's a long time to be in a relationship. And uh, I just have noticed one thing that, you know, uh, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what background you come from. You can come from money. You can come from poor. You, can, you could be uh, any race, any religion, any type of socioeconomic status. If you're in a relationship with someone of the opposite sex, that is hard. It just is. We need to just kind of come to the conclusion. You ever watch somebody and you see them on Instagram and on Facebook and they seem like they have the best relationship? They don't. They sound like you. they don't ever fight or ever argue. You know, they're always like, wow, we have it great. They don't. But we all want to play the part like we got it all worked out and it's everything is perfect. And the truth is none of us have it figured out because it's a person and that person's going to grow and that person's going to evolve and things are going to go wrong and something's going to happen and there's going to be a curveball here uh, around the corner. But what I've noticed is, is that actually for most great relationships, you know, I've had the ability to be a pastor for many, many years. I'm coming up on 15, 16 years now uh, as a pastor and I've been able to sit and cry with many relationships, sit and celebrate with many relationships. I've been marriage counseling for many years. My wife and I, we love marriage 
marriage counseling, so we go on a regular basis. We love that. It's important for our relationship to grow. And I've noticed with many good relationships, those that last, there's some characteristics of those that last and, and go a long time. And what I've noticed, one of the, maybe the biggest characteristic of the relationships that last and do really, really well is that they're extremely intentional about their relationship. That every great relationship that I've seen, they don't get there by accident. Most people in life, we all think this, that most people get somewhere in life. And we all do. We all get somewhere in life. But very, very few people get there on purpose. Very few, few people have planned out their way of living. Like you plan out, think about this. You, plan, you in here might plan your finances to a T. You might actually have a budget. You might plan your physical life to a T. You might get up and you have like a regimen and you get up and you do things and you go and you go work out and you have a plan. And some of you probably Googled like how to become a bodybuilder and you're trying to be a bodybuilder. At, you know, you're, you're doing the CrossFit or you're trying to figure out something. So you have a plan for your physical life. Some of you have a plan for your kids. Some of you have a plan for your careers. You know, you have one of this, you want to go here, you want to go there. Some of you plan your hobby more than you plan your marriages. But what I've noticed is that great relationships are extremely, extremely intentional. And in this series, I, I could have gone anywhere. You could talk about, I could honestly, we could talk about marriage every week at this church. So I have three weeks that I'm going to talk to you because we do weeks and we do sermon series. So we kind of pick a topic and we talk about it for a season because I have ADD and I got to move on to the next thing. But, but like, we're going to take three weeks. And I thought, what's some of the, I want to just start off with the foundation. And give us maybe just a different methodology, maybe a different way of looking at your relationship that I could see, obviously, in Scripture, but also combine it with some great, um, um, some great science, maybe some great uh, experts, quote-unquote experts out there who have done this and walked through and researched different areas of marriages and relationships because we all have the same goal. We want to get to the end of our life like Fred and uh, 71. And maybe you don't want to see your wife fly out the back of an airplane, <laughs> but I want to at least get there and have the opportunity to, right? Okay. <laughs> And I want to be with the same way. Somebody asked me that they say, Pastor, what's your life goal? I said, here's my life goal. I'd like to be married to one woman at the end of my life. I'd like to have my kids love me and love the church. And then I'd like to be able to say that I did something for God. Something. I can't do everything for God. I'm not God. Jesus, that seat's filled. But I can do something for God. But it starts with, hey, I want to be married to one woman for, for the rest of my life. And I want to be married, and that's going to take some intention. So I want to give us just a different idea, maybe a different methodology. There was a, um, a doctor, he's a PhD, his name's Robert Sternberg of Yale University. He kind of created this, um, he, he had done uh, uh, studies over uh, probably 45 years of just looking at marriage and relationships. And he found this characteristic and this kind of correlation, this almost theory of, of uh, long-lasting, healthy uh, relationships. And he said it's kind of built on this triangular model of love. And I'm going to show it to you. And this is what our series is going to be based upon. Um, but what he said was, he said after his, all of his years, and he wrote books and did studies and did research and he does conferences and they have a marriage course and all that. But he said the three things that great marriages that they last on is built on friendship, commitment, and romance. And so friendship, commitment and romance. If you, He noticed that every one of his long-lasting, godly-centered, even godly-centered relationships, because he was a Christian man, but he, he spoke at Yale and he was doing different things, but he said every long-lasting, healthy, healthy, come on, healthy relationship, those that grow, those that are intentionally built and driven on friendship, commitment, and romance. And I thought that's interesting because I looked at the first marriage in the Bible with Genesis. Genesis, you see the first marriage, we, we talked about it today. You didn't know I read your a wedding ceremony, uh, but it was Adam and Eve being brought 
brought together. And there's three, those three characteristics wrapped in there into their life. And so we're going to take the next three weeks and talk about that. Today, we're going to actually talk about uh, friendship. We're going to talk about the value and the foundation and why God wants you to not just be in a marriage with another person. He wants you to be in a marriage with your friend. He wants you to actually look at your marriage as a friendship that if you can build, start there, you can start with a friend. God can actually help you get to where you want to get to. We see God value actually scriptures uh, and value this idea of friendship in marriage. Genesis chapter 2 uses that word helper. And then uh, Psalm chapter 118 used the word helper as well. It's the uh, Hebrew word azer. And it's actually kind of, it's interesting how the, the Bible actually um, defines this. But if you go deeper into it and you, and you kind of really expound on the definition, it really was this idea of a sacred partnership. Helper, azer there, in, in, which is interesting in how they describe that word helper is the same root word, the same type word that you use to describe the Holy Spirit, the helper in the Trinity, when they're actually working all together, that there's this great friendship amongst even inside the Trinity that you and I are called to be in a great sacred friendship and partnership inside of our marriages. That you and I are called to actually be friends and, and have a, a deep underlying value of friendship. Dr. John Gottman, who uh, does the, he runs the Gottman Institute, one of the greatest, one of the great Christian um, uh, kind of psych, psychiatric guys who kind of work on relationships. He said this about friendship. He said, happy marriages. This is him after 40 years. Again, another studies of years. Because you want, listen, science and, and religion go together. Culture wants to make you feel like they're opposite. They're not. All science does is prove the Bible. And the longer we get, the more it actually happens. So I'm just telling you, like, don't throw out science just because we're religious, right? Let's come on. Like, we, we believe in God, but we also believe in the reality that, hey, what goes up must come down. And at, at, at the, but we also believe in faith. Hey, sometimes things don't make sense. And so, so it's both and, okay? Can we just do that? That's okay? Group hug? Okay, all right. Anyway, so Dr. John says this. He says, happy marriages are based on deep, deep friendship. By this, I mean, this is what he means by that. Mutual respect for for and enjoyment of each other's company. Now, how many would describe that that might be your marriage? Don't raise your hand and don't, don't say, see, I told you, right? This is not an elbow message, okay? Don't be elbowing people. That's what he's saying. He's saying a deep enjoyment and mutual respect for each other's company. These couples tend to know each other intimately. This is what he means by that. Not, this is not physical. This is what he means. He says they are well-versed in each other's likes, dislikes, personality quirks, come on, hopes, and dreams. They have been abiding regard. If I say abiding, come on, this is good. An abiding regard for each other and express this fondness, not just in big ways, but, but in little ways, day in and day out. That there's this appreciation for the fact that they're different than I am and they're quirky and they don't do the things that, have you ever noticed that your wife don't do what you want her to do when you want her to do it? Have you noticed that your husband seems to not think the way that you want him to think about every situation? And it's interesting. Yeah, I get that. And so we see that, that but, but what he says is that in his research, what he notices is that great marriages are built on this idea of friendship and relationships. And God values that so much that he even puts it in the first marriage that you're not, he didn't, have you noticed that he said when he made the woman, he didn't say, hey, I'm going to make you a servant and a slave, guys. He didn't say, I'm going to make you someone to work for you. I'm going to make you someone to have a sacred partnership with, that you're going to be best friends with, that her opinion matters, that his opinion matters. 
that there's going to be this thing between both of you that's going to, man, it's going to build a great relationship. And so many marriages really struggle with this, I believe. They struggle. We don't even think about it. You know, it's friendship and marriage. That's weird. I was a friend before. Now we're married. That's kind of how we think, right? But no, your friendship should grow in marriage. And we struggle with this. A lot of us struggle with this because truthfully, this is just a side note. A lot of marriages struggle because you got intimate too quickly inside of your dating life. And most people, just, can I just talk to the singles for a minute? Just a real quick, just singles. All the single ladies. Okay, listen, just, if you're, a, if you're single in here, I just want to give you just a little bit of advice. Just, can I give you some love, loving, godly advice, okay? The, the reason, you know why God says don't have sex before marriage? I, I just want to give you this idea. Because you know what, like, pastors have ruined this. Pastors, most pastors I know and I grew up with, like, don't have sex before marriage because you won't like it. I'm like, that don't make no sense. <laughs> Come on, let's be real. Like, that don't make no sense. So when you tell someone a lie, right, and then they go do it, and then they knew you were lying, you discount all the stuff that you ever said. So you don't, God didn't say not have sex before marriage because it doesn't feel good. That doesn't make sense. It does feel good. However, there's consequence to what you thought made you feel good in the moment that left long-term lasting consequences. And science and Bible will prove this. The reason you don't, here's why God's not a fuddy-duddy. He's not trying to be a cosmic killjoy and make sure you have no fun. He knows what relationships and people are like. He made man. He made woman. He knows what happens when you do that. And science and all these things are studied. You know what happens when you have sex before marriage? Why you get intimate too quickly? Why it actually ruins the marriage? Here's why. Because it, with the guys, here's the guy's issue. It tends to make guys lazy and emotionally unavailable. Because they feel like I've conquered. I win. What, what else is there to win now? That's how guys think. I'm a guy. I know. I'm telling you. What it does for the ladies, it makes them uh, incredibly insecure women. Because you feel like now what you gave, you have to keep giving to keep. That's why it's bad. And so you build a relationship. No one says, hey, I want to be a lazy and emotional, like, like lazy man. And then you be a highly insecure woman. We'll put us together and we're going to make a great couple. <laughs> it never works like that. So just side note, that's just for the singles, okay? Just a little side. The reason you do that, but I wish my pastors would have told me that, you know? Like, I wish they would have said that to me rather than saying, don't do it, turn or burn. <laughs> just to recommend, if you're single in here, you're dating, man, I'm just the best thing you can do is work on being a friend right now in your relationship so that when you get married and then intimacy comes, you didn't build it on that and you weren't building a lazy, insecure man, or, or lazy and emotionally unavailable man, and an insecure woman. That's good, even if you didn't pay for that one. All right. So what does the Bible have to say about friendship? What does the Bible have to say about friendship? <clears throat> I want to give you three keys real quick, three keys to uh, marriage and relationships and just friendship in marriage. This is how to have, how to really be uh, a great friend, how, what great friendships, how to have great friendships and characteristic of great friendship inside of marriage. And you need to know those. I'm going to teach you from a principle that most scriptures, almost all scriptures inside of Bible that talk about, um, that talk about uh, uh, your, your relationship with others, like interpersonal communication, interpersonal relationships, they, you can apply those almost directly to marriage. And you almost should because you shouldn't treat your friend better than you treat your your, your spouse, right? That's, that's a good thing. So, all right, number one is this. It says, great friends believe in each other. This is friendship through belief. I'm going to read you a scripture. James chapter 2 says this. says, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed. Everybody say believe. believe. Believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was God, called God's friend. This is a principle that I want to teach you that if you want to be a great friend, have a great friendship inside of marriage, because we know it's valuable. We've always talked about that. If you want to have a great friendship, you need to believe in 
your spouse. Like you need to believe. I want to pause for a moment and I really want you to hear what, what we're saying. You need to believe in them. Like my, I need to believe in my wife. My wife needs to believe in me. We need to be each other's presidents of our own fan clubs. I need to be her biggest cheerleader. She needs to be my biggest cheerleader. There's, there's got to be a foundation of belief. Here's what I found it's interesting about God, is he doesn't have any friends that don't believe in him. Have you ever noticed that? Like you're not God. You can't call yourself God's friend if you don't believe in him. Like, I don't believe in God. Why would I be his friend? That makes sense. I don't have friends that don't believe in me. Do you? What kind of relationships are you surrounding yourself with? And if you're in a marriage, in a relationship where you made a covenant before God, why, why wouldn't you build your life and your friendship on this idea of belief? And so many of us build our relationships not on belief, but on criticism, on critique. How can I make you better? How can I tell you all the things you did wrong today? And then we wonder, why, I got a terrible relationship. She don't ever like talking to me. Well, all you do is tell her where she's wrong. I don't like that. You would never be friends with anybody like that, right? Right? Yeah, right? You would never be friends with anybody like that. But you're in marriage, and you, we, we excuse her because, well, she's married to me, so she can't go nowhere. I'm just going to tell her how it is, right? But great marriages are built on belief. How do we do this? We do that with our our words. We believe, most, most belief, most encouragement, most love, most belief-based friendships are built on, listen to me, built on the idea of words. When my wife tells me she's, I'm handsome, and I'm good-looking, and I'm smart, and I can do it, I know she's lying. <laughs> but that don't matter. I still feel like I can go run through a wall. Why? Because the person that matters most that I grew up with, that I decided to give my life to, that I wanted to make a covenant with, not a contract, that I wanted to be with, man, that woman just said that I'm good looking? Yeah! Come on! Walk around with some swagger, right? <laughs> Ladies, is there anybody who could tell you any, do, is there any more valuable opinion than your husband's? No! Because when he told you you look beautiful, it doesn't matter even if you think you didn't. It's all of a sudden, it's like, wow, what you see in the mirror doesn't really much matter because your husband says you look good, <laughs> right? And you're just like, this is amazing. Why? Because we do it with our, with our words. So when you speak life and you say, man, husband, you, I just want you to know I'm thankful for you. Man, you're not just you're good looking, but you're a great provider. Thank you for loving me. Even when you can't and you feel like you don't know how to do it. Thank you for being a, a, a father to my children, man. I just want to know, I believe in you today. Hey, before you go to work, don't go to work thinking or wondering or figuring out whether or not I love you. You need to know this. I love you. Let me just tell you something right now. Let me just, somebody is always speaking to your spouse. Always. Somebody's always speaking. I'll give you one better. Someone's always speaking to your spouse about you, for you. And I ain't going to let anybody tell my wife what I think about her for me. And I've noticed that when I don't tell my wife, speak things like life into her, it's interesting how the first marriage had someone speak into the wife when the man wasn't there to speak into his own wife. So when I don't speak to the woman that she's supposed to be, then someone's going to speak to the Satan, Satan, the enemy, devil, right? Like the guy who's trying to destroy you. He's going to come up and try to speak to her what she 
isn't, but try to make her think that she is. He's going to lie to her when I abstained and, way, and stepped away from my ability to tell her the truth. It works on both sides. Never let anybody speak to your spouse on your behalf for you. Tell them, speak life and encourage. The University of Washington said this, they can predict within 90% accuracy with couples. Oh, they did this like a 20-year study. Within 90% accuracy, which couples will stay together and which ones won't. Their number one determining factor of how they got that percentage was if the relationship had criticism in it. 90% accuracy, oh, we can know if that's going to make it. If there's a high level of criticism, it ain't going to work. It ain't, it ain't going to work. Why? Because they did not believe. So how do we get better at this? We need to know this, that it starts with our thoughts. My thoughts become my words. Proverbs 23 says this, for as a man thinks of himself, so is he. If I think well, this is it. So if I think well, I speak well. If I think well, I speak well. If you focus on what's negative and what's wrong with them, you're going to start speaking. You ever notice that? You, look, well, you, you, you drift to where you see. If, you, if you're focusing on the wrong thing, you're, you're going to start focusing on the wrong thing. I, 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 I talked to somebody the other day. They said, man, the devil's just controlling my mind. That's a lie. God don't control your mind. The same don't control your mind. Who controls your mind? Come on. It's in the sentence. Everybody, it's not a trick question. Who controls your mind? You. Yeah. Yeah, you. Yeah. And we love to do that. Like we got, well, you know, I wasn't thinking the right thoughts. The devil must have got a hold of me. No, you were acting crazy. You think crazy. Stop acting like, stop thinking like that. Usually I said some stuff, you know, the devil got a hold of my words. No, the devil didn't get a hold of your words. No, you said something dumb because you thought like that. And we pray it out. We're like, oh, it's not me. Like we do like the spiritual Jesus juke. Like, oh, it wasn't me. <laughs> that was the devil. <laughs> you see that devil? You be running by me. Everything's the devil's fault. <laughs> like, no, like God wants you. You control your mind. The enemy's tactic is he wants you to always think the worst. He always wants you to think the worst. Think the worst. They meant to do that. They hurt you. They weren't going to always think the worst. But godly, God's tactics, he wants you to do this. He wants you to do it. Meditate. There's a couple of other. This is just practical. Practical. Meditate on the reason why you married them. Not why you're mad at them. Think about this. Meditation for Christians, just so you know, is not emptying your mind. That's like the Eastern way of meditation. I'm going to think about nothing. Actually, the Christian way of meditation is I'm going to put things in my mind. I'm going to put godly thoughts in my mind. I'm going to fill my mind so that when somebody tries to come put something in it, the enemy included, there's no room for it to be. You can't put anything else in. I've got too many good things. I'm thinking too many good things about my spouse. They're great. He's amazing. He's awesome. He might not be that right now, but I'm I'm just telling you, he's going to be it. He's going to be Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why? Because you, 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 can, you can be pulled down through criticism. Great friends believe in each other. Number two is this. Number two is this. Great friends celebrate each other's differences. This is friendship through differences. Our perspective on differences can make or break friendships. I find it interesting with Adam and Eve's story. Again, go back to the first marriage, okay? Go back to the first marriage. If you go on to read inside that scripture, the Bible says that um, Satan tempted Eve. Again, again, man didn't stand in the gap for his wife. I'm telling you, there's so much in there. I could talk all year long about marriage. So anyway, but he, he, so Satan comes in, talks to Eve. Eve brings the fruit to the man. I'm giving you a summary version. This is Crib Notes version of the Bible. And so he goes and he gives the, she gives the fruit to Adam. They eat of the tree they're not supposed to and then here's what's crazy this is what happens all of a sudden um, they they feel naked and not and, and ashamed and so they they cover up listen listen this is important the bible says they take fig leaves and they cover up where they were different so let me summarize 
God puts together a relationship in marriage. Sin enters in. And it distorts their view of what God meant for good to where they now think it's bad. Where they were different, they covered up. Where they were different, they said, this is, this is, this is, this is, the Bible said they were ashamed. Isn't it interesting that anytime you introduce sin into your life, into the world, all of a sudden we start to see things that were intended for bad that are, people now think are good. And then and things that were meant to be good, people now think are, are bad. Hello, culture. Hello, everything that's going on in our world right now. The things, wait, 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 wait. Let me say it again because y'all missed it. Wait, let me say it. I'll say it over here. Maybe. So, uh, so <laughs> pastor, what you're saying is, is that when sin enters into a situation, pride, whatever, when sin enters in, all of a sudden, the things that God meant for good are now evil, and the things that are evil are now seen as good. The Bible talks about God doesn't want you to have sin in your life because it affects him and he, he thinks you're bad. He doesn't want to have sin in your life because it makes you think and see terrible. You have a jaded view of what God meant for right and for wrong. We want to build our lives and our friendship and celebrate our differences. Three perspectives, three viewpoints on our differences for, for God. Number one is this. The first thing you can do with the difference when you see something that your spouse does that's different, you can reject it. You can say, like, that's, that's crazy. They're wrong. That's dumb. Why do you stack the dishes like that? You should put the toilet paper under and over, not over and under. You should you know, fold the blankets like this. You should, I, my mom always put my, my clothes like this, babe. You need to put your clothes like, please don't ever start your sentence. Can I just give you a side thought? If you want to get into, this is the easiest way to get into a fight with your wife. This is guys, okay? I'm just this. I know these really well because I, I have issues with that. So like, I can tell you all the things not to do. This is good. And so don't ever start your conversation with, hey, my mom used to, whatever. Like you might as well just, 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 just let her punch you right there. <laughs> Just let her punch you. But we see all the differences and you can go, man, that's not the way I would do it. That's not the way mama used to do it. That's not the way grandmama used to do it. That's not the way I see it. That's not the way my dad used to see it. We didn't get raised like that and I didn't have this. And, blah, blah, blah. and you can go all you want and find everything that they do different than you, how every place that they're different than you, the way God created them differently than you. Come on. And, and, and you can reject it and make it feel terrible. That's one way. You can see the differences as, as bad. You could say, I hate the way they do that. I can't believe that they're like that. And you could, well, that's one way. I remember talking to someone, uh, they came in for counseling and he was like, man, I can't stand that my wife is so sensitive. I said, let me get this straight. Oh, no, he, and he added on this because I'm not sensitive. I, okay. Okay. So you're frustrated because God created someone to not be like you, to be with you, to help you and complete you, but you're frustrated about that because that was God's ultimate plan. He goes, that's not what I said. <laughs> well, how did you say it? Well, I just don't like that she's so sensitive. I go, God made her that way differently. She's not supposed to be you. Thank God she ain't like you. <laughs> and you're trying to like reject the very thing that God actually created her to be different like. Like, don't reject it. 
Second thing, I remember one time we were, um, I was, I was uh, going on an interview trip, kind of cross-country. I was going from California to Missouri, and I was going for an interview. And before the interview, we were going to go out, and I was going to bring my wife, and we were going to go do a bunch of things, and we were, you know, kind of interview for the job, and they were going to bring us in. And so she's, like, getting everything together and getting everything ready. And I'm like, and so she comes out, and she goes, what do you think of this outfit? I'm like, change this, do this, change your hair. And, like, before, like, and then she, we did that for, like, a couple of days. And before you know it, so my wife's, like, in tears, sobbing. She's like, I don't know what to do. So she calls my pastor, and I'm like, I'm in trouble. And so he calls me up and he's like, and I'm and he's like, well, what's going on? And she's like, well, he doesn't like anything about me. And I'm like, what do I do? And I'm like, well, listen, I'm trying to go out there. I'm trying to get this job. And I want her to do this. And if she would just do this, and I'm telling you, she should be like this. And I need her to adjust her hair and make her something. And he goes, stop. He goes, the re- if you get the job at all, it'll be because of her. <laughs> he, I remember, I'm telling you, if I'm lying, I'm dying. I remember what he said. He said, leave her alone. Let her be different. She's not supposed to be you. They are going to look at you. You're one piece of the package. But if there's two of the same thing, they don't need one. Because let her be different. So that's one way you could do it. So that, that's one way. Number two is this. You can accept it. That's like the world says. You know, if you go to any godly or non-godly, you just go to Christian marriage counseling. You're be like, hey, just accept their differences. They're different. Hey, come on. Let's just accept it. Just deal with it. Just, hey, just... Bite your tongue. Just kind of accept it. It's going to be the way that it is. It's one way you could do it. Or you can do the third way, which I, I would celebrate for you, is just to celebrate their differences. So it's not reject. It's not accept. Celebrate them. Actually, go out of your way to highlight the fact that they're different. Hey, I'm so happy. Instead of you're so sensitive, get over it. How about this, baby? I'm so glad that you're sensitive. Husband, instead of, instead of, well, he just has no feeling in his heart. He just hates every, he is so, just never cries. Man, honey, thank you so much for being strong. I mean, I don't know. You have, so much of great marriages I've noticed are, are like really, really creative. You got to get creative in your marriage sometimes. Think of ways to say things and to believe into someone, right, right, because marriages are great on belief. And so ultimately we want them to celebrate. They're different because God created them that way. And we want to celebrate what God created. We want to celebrate what God created. We want to celebrate what God created. They're supposed to be different. And the last one is this, and I'm wrapping it up. Third one is great friends are transparent. This is friendship through vulnerability. John chapter 15, this is Jesus says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. He doesn't know his master's business. He doesn't, he doesn't know. Instead, I have called you, come on, what's that word? Everybody say it. Friends. Everybody say friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. I've made known to you. This is friendship through vulnerability. Have you ever noticed that a true test of friendship is inside information? Like, you know this even with your friends. Like, your closest friends, the way you know they're friends, they're close with you because they know information about you that no one else does, right? There's very little secrets between you and your closest friends. Perhaps, perhaps, no secrets, and that's how you've kind of defined them as a great friend. You tell your closest friends everything. You're so vulnerable with them to the point you, you could get hurt easily. That's what makes a great friend. And some of us in here are not that vulnerable with our spouse. And I get it. It could be because it's not a create, you haven't created a safe atmosphere. This is just three quick thoughts about creating a safe atmosphere. If you want to have vulnerability within your relationship, 
One of the ways you create a safe atmosphere is, number one, is you don't have judgment. If someone, if one of your spouses go out of the door with their way to share a sin, share an issue, share a problem, share something they're going through, share, I mean, share a deep, dark secret, come on, if they're doing that, something like that where they're going out of their way to share something with you, don't, the last thing you want to do is be judgment and make them feel like they're inferior. Even if you don't understand it, don't judge. The second way to create a safe atmosphere is you need to have absolute confidence. They need to know that what they're about to share is not going to go anywhere else. Have you ever had that happen with your friend? Isn't that the biggest betrayal when you share a secret with a closest friend and then you wind up finding out that they said, some, said that to someone else? Isn't it? And when you go out of your way to share something with your, your husband or your, your wife or your spouse and, and you're, you share something and you don't tell anyone it brings confidence. So they got to know that if they're going to share a secret with you, come on, you're not going to tell anyone, including your family. Oh, well, they're my family. Oh, it's just my mom. I just told my mom. No, 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 no. Oh, it's just my sister. I just told my I tell my sister everything. No, 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 no. No, safe. You're trying to create a vulnerable, safe atmosphere. Ladies, if you want your husband to be open with you, I'm telling you, this is a big deal. If he shares a secret with you, if he shares a sin with you, if he shares a struggle with you, if he tells you he's doing something wrong and something happened, the last thing you want to do is go and share it with other people or make him feel like you judge him. And the third one is this, is you create a safe atmosphere by not being religious. Religious is simply this. You, you don't act like you're better than them or you've never experienced that. If, if they go out of their way to share something with you, you don't want them to make them feel like, man, I'm scum. And the enemy, here's the enemy's tactic in all of this. The enemy's tactic is simply this. He wants all of the secrets in your life to say secret. And I've never noticed anything good growing in the dark. I've noticed that oftentimes Pretty terrible things grow in the dark. And little secrets become bigger secrets. And bigger secrets become, come on, come on. Come on. No one wakes up and goes, well, it just didn't work out. It's never happened, even if they tell you that. There's always these little things. These little moments and these little things built on these little things. There was some big story behind it. And whether they were honest about that or not, Remember, we want to create vulnerability. Great friendships are built on vulnerability. And if you want to be vulnerable, you have to create a safe atmosphere. This is just a simple thought that I would share with you as I'm wrapping it up today. Find ways to have simple share and care moments with your spouse on a regular basis. If they're your friend, you should share with them. You should be vulnerable with them. With the understanding that there's a safe atmosphere in this place. And that you walk through it with them. So that they don't have any secrets from you and you don't have any secrets from them because secrets don't, there's no, like, no marriage ever said, you know how we grew, built our great marriage and relationship? We've got a ton of secrets. Like, keep everything from each other. It's powerful. No one says that. But yet we do it and hope that it's going to all work out. Great marriages don't work out. Great marriages are intentional. Come on, y'all. Great relationships are intentional. They're built on friendship, and friendships, great friendships are built on those that believe in each other. They're built on those that celebrate their differences, and they're built on those that are transparent. And my prayer for you today 
is that you would build your, your marriage and your relationships based on that. That you would have a great friendship with your spouse. Here's a thought. If, what if you thought of your spouse as your best friend? How would things be different? How would you spend your money? How would you spend your time? If they were your best friend, would you go out at all hours of the night? Be gone all the time? Would you, would you be that, you know, that lady that just always does everything else with her friends? She's on her girlfriend's trips like every weekend, always gone? Because that's her best friend? Well, come on, come on, come on. If your spouse was your best friend and your goal was to grow a growing friendship because we know friendship is valuable based on the Bible and, come on, and science, if they were your best friend, how much of your life would change, would be different? And my prayer to you today is that you would see value, the value of friendship in all of our relationships and all of our marriages.